Well, hello, and welcome to the Partner Connection. This is Dell Technologies Partner Program podcast, and I'm Cheryl Cook. And today I'm excited to be speaking with Josh Jaffe. He's our Vice President of Cybersecurity here at Dell. Hi, Josh. Hey, Cheryl. How are you? Great to be here. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And I thought, you know, we've been talking about this breakthrough study, and we appreciate your contributions and input there. And one of the topics we've been discussing is all these trends we're seeing in technology, but where technology and people intersect. And certainly the topic of security is top of mind everywhere. And the role people play in this study, it says there's 72% of our leaders believe that they're not really changing their personal work habits and doing enough personally, even though we can all read the headlines about these cyber attacks and these ransomware threats. So we're all in this connected, hybrid, remote workplace, and we know we're going to stay here for a bit. Talk a little bit about that concept of people's responsibility and role in the current reality. I think, first of all, it's a great topic to talk about, and I think it's especially relevant for us today. I think one of the things we sometimes lose track of is how much technology and technology systems are always evolving and, and have always been. We tend to think of those changes as somewhat recent phenomenon, but I think through almost all of human history, humans have had to adapt to changes in technology. And we are no different from that in this day and age, with the exception of the fact that I think those changes are happening at a faster pace and in a way that has the potential to be ever more impactful for us. Organizations sometimes don't recognize the opportunity they have to evolve with or leverage technology as a real agent for change and development. In some cases, as you mentioned in the study, we found that a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations found that they themselves were not in a position where they saw the opportunity to evolve with technology and use that in a way that benefits their businesses. But I think those that thrive in these environments really do recognize that as an opportunity and are taking advantage of the kinds of opportunities that technology and technology revolutions provide. One thing that always is front of mind for us, though, in the information security space is that as technology systems changes and as we're more and more connected, we see proliferation of data growing, we see multi-cloud and hybrid cloud as a service adoption, bringing computing closer to the edge, all sorts of technology change, really bringing the potential for disruptions of our business that also provides an opportunity for bad actors to take advantage of some of those changes that we in our own ecosystems or environments are still trying to get our arms around. So if you think about that from the perspective of employees, I think one of the things that jumped out to me from this study was seeing that such a high percentage of leaders saw employees both as their greatest asset and also their weakest link when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber defense. So if you think about that in the way that we as security professionals used to think about it, sort of for us to protect our own infrastructure and our own environments, we used to spend a lot of time thinking about how to protect the perimeter of an organization, how to build what we sort of thought of as digital walls around our environments, protect our networks and our infrastructure, our access points to the internet. And that's all changing now because we're seeing technology bring all of those kinds of risks and kinds of threats all the way out to the edge. Obviously, COVID's had a huge impact on the way that we think about what it means to have a connected workforce. And all of us are in our own daily lives, connecting from almost anywhere we want to and trying to be productive from almost anywhere we can. So bringing defense to the perimeter, bringing not necessarily blind trust, but this notion of what we in the industry are starting to call zero trust, but the idea that we need to authenticate and protect every connection and every endpoint for every employee or every connected device 
those are really changing the way we think about security a lot. It's also changing a lot about the way that we think about educating our employees about what it takes for them to be part of a connected and secure corporate ecosystem. So October Security Awareness Month, we obviously spend a good amount of time training our employees throughout the year, but especially in this connected world with the degree of technology evolution that we're seeing throughout the ecosystems that we are all part of, this is a great time for us as leaders in this field to spend a little bit extra time talking with our employees and talking with everybody in the organization about the importance of cybersecurity. And it's important, I think, for everybody in the organization to use this as a reminder to realize how they themselves are on the front lines of the security perimeter in this new modern ecosystem, which ultimately, I think, makes them a really invaluable and connected part of the security enterprise. You're so true about the training and education, even in our personal lives, right? I mean, our telephones or cell phones are being blown up with robocalls and I'm getting all kinds of crazy links texted to my phone and you're afraid to click on anything, right? So if somebody is really trying to send something, it's almost like you need to declare it at the front. But I like this idea of you're trying to educate, elevate, and really empower each of us. So as leaders, you know, we talk and we're very proud at Dell about our culture. And I think one of the great things about our culture is we talk very openly and transparently around why, right? The context of why this is so important, not just on protecting company assets and company content, but ourselves personally. So when you think about leadership and culture, talk a bit about the role that plays as we work in our partners that are listening to this or trying to up their game a little bit internally? When I think about this, something that's just so critical for me is to recognize the importance of trust in an employee-employer relationship, or really just the importance of trust in any ecosystem. We recognize that whenever we bring a new employee into the Dell family or a new partner into the Dell family, there's sort of an implicit trust relationship there that requires that new employee or that new partner recognize there's amount of trust that we're placing in them to deliver the kinds of things that they are critical part of our organization and there to deliver. There's also a trust from them to us, to the enterprise, that we're building the right sort of technology ecosystems and security controls into the environment, also the right connectivity and productivity resources into the ecosystem that they're relying on. So I think trust is a huge component there. I think something that is really important for organizations when they're establishing those trusted relationships is not to underemphasize the importance that culture plays in that. So at the end of the day, this is a a culture of trust that we're building between our employees and our partners. They trust us, we trust them, but also trust has sort of a reciprocal obligation. I am trusting my employees and my partners, not only to deliver what I expect of them today, but to evolve for what I'm going to need tomorrow, to evolve, to get better, to get stronger, to be more resilient. And they're expecting that from me as a leader. And certainly I know that's a reciprocal feeling that we have with each other. So if we think about the importance of culture when we're building that relationship, I think something that doesn't always jump out to somebody in the cyberspace is the obligation for us to plan ahead for and be resilient in the face of the kinds of things that we're going to increasingly face. So another statistic that jumped out to me when I was reviewing the study was the percentage of people whose sort of primary response to reading or hearing or seeing threats of cybercrime or hearing about a big breach was to sort of 
hope that never happened to them. And I think there's probably nothing more predictable than to know that something like that will at least attempt to happen to you, to us, to an enterprise. So hoping it doesn't happen really isn't a good option. It's not a very effective defense. What is though, is continuing to recognize that organizations have placed trust in us. We are trusting in each other. That requires each of us to be resilient, to plan ahead, to be good stewards of the technology that we have, but also recognizing that, as I mentioned before, we're on the front lines of any organization's cyber defense. And that means continuing to learn, to evolve, to train ourselves, to be, as you mentioned, a little bit more skeptical of those unsolicited phone calls or emails that you receive, but also recognizing that if we're in a technology producing part of the organization, the way that we build hardware, the way that we write code, the way that we plan or build processes that allowed us to have extra checks in the process to ensure that security is built in and is intrinsic to what we do, that our controls are effective, that if one mistake is made, that that doesn't doom a process or an outcome to an insecure result, but that there's opportunities for redundancy built in, that redundancy also ultimately gives us the ability to be resilient, which I think needs to be core to the way we think about building a culture of security. It's not likely that any of us are going to avoid being targeted. All of us will be probably on a regular basis. And it's not likely that every control will be effective every time. So building redundant controls, building security in intrinsically, building a resilient enterprise, really key, I think, to the culture that leaders need to build in an organization. Also key to building a trust with our partners and with our customers. I think trust really is foundational. I love that this is so much to the forefront. We talk quite often about the speed of trust as kind mm -hmm. of a methodology. It's a Franklin Covey yep. leadership principle, right? On just how to foster high-performing teams and right. what that can mean in the way of business result. I find it really fascinating that we acknowledge and openly talk about it up front that we have this reciprocal trusting, inherent trust built in relationship, but yet the industry term is moving to zero trust yeah. <laughs> as a term to imply you know, how to keep all the bad actors out. But obviously, we're all human, right? And even when everyone has the best intentions, sometimes we make mistakes or we click on that thing and regret it afterwards or whatever. Talk about how you put plans in place, knowing that, you know, I like the way you characterized it, that people are our strongest assets, but also our weakest link because we are just humans. So what's a good digital plan, a cybersecurity plan look like? What are the key elements? I think a couple of things are key. I mean, obviously organizations are complex. It's difficult to have a sort of universal plan or approach that would apply in any organization or entity or, or enterprise. But I think a couple of principles really come to the forefront. One is that even with, I think, the best intentions, we should plan for human error. I think that's unavoidable. I think also something else that's key is that we need to recognize and plan for the eventuality that we will be attacked. Still have a, an old friend named Malcolm Harkin who wrote a book on cybersecurity risk, and he had a handful of what he called universal truths, I think, about data. And just a handful of them seem relevant here. But one was that code wants to be wrong was the way he phrased it. Users want to click and information or data wants to be free. In general, <laughs> it's hard to build a system that is going to be free of human error. And it's also hard to build a system that's not going to need to respond to the 
real world eventualities of what people inside an organization are trying to do. They're trying to do their job. They're trying to achieve some sort of technological or process outcome. They're not clicking just a click. They're not making data that should be private accessible on purpose. Of course, they're, they're trying to do some other business thing and the byproduct or the outcome of doing that in a way that maybe accomplishes that outcome is sometimes an insecure practice or data disclosure or a breach or something like that. But also we're all, as I mentioned several times now, all of us are on the front lines for attacks regularly. So it comes back to a couple of things that we need to do as enterprises to make sure that we can be resilient in the face of those real world things. One of those is that we need to be able to protect our data and our systems. So in practical terms, that means if employees are trying to accomplish those kinds of real world outcomes we're talking about, they need to be able to do that on the devices they use and on the systems that make sense, which means we need to be able to protect them wherever they are, whatever system they're working on, wherever they're working from. We also need to enhance cyber resilience. So one of the points I've mentioned before is that individual controls are good. No control is going to be effective 100% of the time. That's why we need to have layered controls in place. So where one fails, the next one can catch or stop the risk, the incident, the problem. So layered defense, that's resilient. Also, I think especially in today's day and age where ransomware is such a prescient concern, we're seeing destructive cyber attacks regularly. Having protected and redundant backup systems, we spend a lot of time trying to work with our customers about understanding the need to have offline resilient backup systems. Oftentimes, bad actors will specifically target connected backup systems before they launch a ransomware attack. So resilient backup and recovery controls, as well as those resilient layered defenses to prevent an attack, really important. But I think maybe the final point I'll mention here, and I think the most important one is that complexity is the enemy of any good security organization. The more complex it is, the more opportunities there are for holes, for gaps, the more complex your policies are, the harder it is for well-intentioned users to follow them. The more complex your communication is, the more difficult it is for individuals or entities within your organization who want to do the right thing to actually be successful and, and do it, to actually do the right thing. So overcoming that sort of security complexity for our customers, overcoming security complexity for our, our knowledge workers and users, overcoming security complexity for our IT partners, our Dell digital partners internally, overcoming that complexity, I think is key for us to be able to build any kind of effective, cohesive security strategy. I love the keep it simple, right? And it just applies in so many ways. And there's no question that with all we're dealing with now and navigating everybody's digital transformation ambitions, we're all striving to simplify the complex, right? Because it just lives at everywhere. And I think this concept of cybersecurity and the threat it's intimidating, right? People get a little scared. And like you said, people want to be well-intended, but if they can understand what's expected, like you said, it's much higher likelihood that they'll be able to execute, comply, and do it the same. So one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on, this is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and we certainly have a huge campaign in the company around elevating and empowering one, what our capabilities are and what our point of view is, but because we talk about the new way of work and we're recording this remotely and we're all learning and have learned over the last couple of years how to be quite efficient working remotely, but it inherently brings 
a whole nother level of complexity obligation around securing data. And you commented about the threat is at the endpoint, right? Now, when all these endpoints, whether it's your remote workforce or this edge computing, talk about this concept of zero trust. And you said that's what the industry is adopting now. We just launched and stood up a zero trust competency center. So talk about its role and what that concept really means. I love this question because this is something that I think is really misunderstood in the industry, certainly misunderstood, I think, even by practitioners. But zero trust isn't a new term. I think it's also not actually in conflict with the notion of trust that I was mentioning earlier in our conversation. I think people often assume that zero trust means that we shouldn't trust entities or devices or things within our environment. But I think the truth is trust is always the strongest when it's explicit, not implicit. If I demonstrate trust to somebody, to my wife, to my children, to my friends, they're going to trust me more than just if I ask them to trust me or if I don't demonstrate the sort of the characteristics of trust explicitly, but I'm only just sort of an implicit trust that we sort of assume we all have some sort of sense of trust for each other. That's one of the reasons why when we look at this from an enterprise perspective, zero trust isn't a notion where we're only trusting implicitly like we used to do, right? So if you think about the old model, I was talking about how we would sort of establish a secure network perimeter. And then in the old days, the thing that enterprises would do is they would establish trust to get access to that perimeter. And then once something is inside the perimeter, it's sort of implicitly trusted. Everything is implicitly trusted. We trust that the things that are happening there are happening the way they should and that users are doing the things they should. In reality, what we had found historically is that eventually, in many cases, bad actors are able to get through those perimeter controls. And then if we lose visibility to the things we're doing or we don't establish trust internally, that's a weakness. And that weakness is often exploited. Zero trust sort of takes that notion and flips it on its head. So instead of implicit trust, it's explicit trust. All devices and entities need to be known. They should be authenticated. Once they're authenticated, what they're authorized to do should be established. Their behavior is monitored once they're in there and it's monitored explicitly. And the actions that they are allowed to take are monitored, but also the actions that are taken are understood. So in other words, we're not just providing a blind trust to entities or individuals once they're inside an environment, but there's a multi-layered model to establish trust once they gain access, but also every action or activity requires some level of authentication and that authentication should be explicit. So it's the specific thing that they're allowed to do the specific thing that they're authorized for. And those additional layers provide greater level of control, but it's also providing an explicit layer of trust, which allows us to have a deeper, more granular understanding of what's happening in our network, but also to provide a deeper, more granular, more explicit trust to the individuals in our organization and who are part of our enterprise. So you hear terms in the industry about things like security protocols, like deny by default and to allow by exception, but the core notion of anything in zero trust is that this is an architecture that's built on explicit trust and the things that we really foundationally want to be able to enable our users, employees to do is to ensure that ultimately once they're connected, that they're connected on the basis of an authenticated and authorized connection, their behavior is explicitly allowed and the actions are understood and monitored. That's sort of at the core of this architecture. And it's an architecture that exists across different kinds of topology. So this is just as useful, just as valid in an enterprise environment as it is in a hybrid work environment or enabling users to work from home. It's just as 
relevant in a classical corporate network as it is in a hybrid or multi-cloud environment. So it's a notion that allows us to be able to differentiate users and tasks, authorize them explicitly, do that on the basis of trust like we were describing earlier, but also to do it in a way that allows us to be more resilient to attacks, but still enable users to do the work that foundationally they need to do. Well, it's certainly important work. Thanks so much for giving us that context. And I have all the confidence that you and your colleagues are very busy. <laughs> I think there's much to do in this space and certainly appreciate all your efforts on trying to reduce the complexity. So I have a random personal question that this is just, I'm curious. Do you at home use a password manager? Uh, so I, I do. And I think there's sort of an interesting principle here. I think in most cases, I think password managers are useful for most passwords. If you think about the number of sort of authenticated connections we make in the course of our daily lives, someone shared a statistic with me that in an average year, an average person's going to be managing something like over a hundred passwords or something like that so is a huge amount. None of us can remember all of those and keep them complex and not reuse them. And of course, reuse is one of the main things that attackers target, they find a password we use and they try it everywhere else we have connectivity. So I think password managers are important, but there's also a handful of things that probably are especially important for you. And I think we do have the capacity to remember a handful of complex passwords. So there's a handful of those that I feel most comfortable committing to memory and not putting in a password manager. Yeah. Well, I might be asking for a friend. This is one of the <laughs> where I've tried to, when I'm managing my own and also helping my dad who's 86 years old, lives alone. He's great on email, but when he loses a password or can't get in, I become the IT support system. Of course. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you, Josh, thanks so much for all your insight, your knowledge, demystifying a few of these concepts for us. And it certainly is something that's critically important. But before I let you go, one thing I do like to do, and I am going to throw you another curveball, is... Share with us and our listeners, what's a fun fact about you, Josh, that wouldn't be on your resume, your colleagues might not know? <laughs> what's a fun fact about Josh? Um, well, maybe, I'm not sure how fun this is, but probably something that at least wouldn't be on my resume, and I'm not sure other people would know about me if they weren't listening to this podcast, but I spend most of my day job sort of banging on a, a keyboard and output of my work product comes in the form of PowerPoint slides and Excel sheets and emails. So I actually like to spend a lot of time tinkering and working when I'm not at work. So I like to hit things with a hammer. I renovated with my wife a couple old houses. Now I think we're up to three houses, all of them built before this century or the last oh, century wow. actually. And uh, I like to tinker on old cars and motorcycles. So things I can actually touch and get my hands dirty and hit with a hammer or turn with a screwdriver. Oh, so a little little different kind of work product output, something I can touch. A little renaissance, man. I like that. I like that a lot. And particularly in the last couple of years, home remodels, home renovations, all that stuff has been on the boom. So absolutely keeping you busy. Well, Josh, it's been a delight. Thanks so much for taking the time here. And we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and uh, happy security awareness month. Well, Josh, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. It was a really fascinating topic, and we hope you're enjoying our podcast. So please listen and review and give us feedback, and be sure to join us in the next couple of weeks for our next episode of The Partner Connection. Until then, I hope everyone stays safe and be well. <music>